You're listening to Earnestly Speaking, the only weekly podcast that covers friends, foes, and anything that goes. And now, for your badass host, Ernest Owens. And we're back for another episode of Earnestly Speaking with your host, Ernest Owens, myself. <laughs> well, it is a fabulous November. I am really loving November. November is showing me lots of love. I, I am very, very happy um, and, and and also just relaxed, um, which says a lot. I don't know if it's because of the fact that daylight savings time has happened and we have fallen back, which means that I have an extra hour of energy or sleep or whatever, but I feel good. I really do. And really excited about this upcoming week for so many reasons, as we'll discuss on the podcast. But it's been it's been a great, a great, a great November thus far. Um, so much is going on, as you all can imagine, and I'm super excited to give updates and to talk about them. Um, so let me follow up from something from last week. Um, I kept telling about this Lip Brothers surprise, and it turns out it was more than just the Lip Brothers, but there was a great little birthday surprise for me. They they was able to pull together. I was taken for an evening of relaxation and fabulousness and awesomeness. And where I first started was that they surprised me with a massage at the Four Seasons, which was so good. Oh, my goodness. It was what I needed after a crazy weekend um, last weekend. Um you know, with all the NABJ Philly drama, but we'll, you know, we have some updates on that too. But yeah, I got a good massage. It was a really nice therapeutic experience. Then after that, you know, we was at the G, the JG Sky Lounge, um, which is John George's Sky Lounge with the view of the city. Very beautiful. We had cocktails. They gave me this lovely gift, um, this black Swarovski crystal bracelet. And I've, I've been really into jewelry lately, you know, for a minute. So I got this lovely Swarovski crystal, black crystal bracelet that is just so sexy and seductive and lovely, thoughtful cards. And it was a wonderful time. But just when I thought that the evening was, you know, pretty much going to be chill, there was also a private surprise dinner at one of my favorite restaurants in the city, which is a restaurant Alexander Ridden House. So the incredible chefs, uh, Montana Houston and Chef Jameer called Wimberly, they they had a special like seven course curated um, dinner. And seven is a very uh, special number. You know, that's one of my favorite number, actually seven. And also it was seven of us who ate dinner, which was also a very good, you know, you know, juice. There was a seven of us. So it was myself. It was Josh, Gio, Jamarcus. Um, then it was Sharon, Amanda, and Lauren. Um, so it was seven of us. And it was great. Amanda came through. Sharon came through. Lauren came through. So it was the, it was the Lit Brothers and our, our homegirls. You know, they everybody want to get a name, Lit Sisters. It doesn't make sense because you can't have Lit Sisters because... <laughs> Anywho, it's just you know. Listen, Destiny's Child has a lot of fans, and they don't you know they don't call themselves Destiny's 
children and cousins, destiny cousins, because they're 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 the destiny's child. They're the, it's, it's, it's a specific reason why it's destiny's child versus destiny's cousin. But you could still be, you know, down with the with the crown, you know. So it was a lovely dinner. I mean, it was so good. And let me tell you this little sidebar joke, because my my little girl, my little homegirl, Miss 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 Doctor Parks, a little greedy. So the last time we went to restaurant Alexander, it was me and her. We did restaurant week there, and I told you how fabulous it was, and how they had this incredible banana pudding. So, you know, this, this thing Amanda do is that she likes to do the whole little, oh, you know, I'm just going to make a little suggestion or just ask for something. Or just, you know, just cute. But she really, really wanted. So she was in her mind like, oh, you know, I want some of that banana pudding. It was so good. Child, she just hit it like, oh, you know, I want some. The chef. <laughs> Who's cute? He's a cute chef. He's, he's, he's the executive chef. He's cute. He was like. He was like, oh, you, you you want some? He come out with a tub. He gave her like a whole tub. You know, listen, if Joe was there, I said, listen. She was talking about how much she wished Joe could cook. Now, Joe, listen, Joe Hamilton, my good, my good Joe, okay? <laughs> he was, you know, listen, Joe can get in there and scramble some eggs. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay. Now, everybody can cook. Now, I can cook. I can cook. Mr. Johnson can cook. But listen, Joe do a lot of things. Joe, Joe know how to get other things together, okay? Joe may not know how to cook, but apparently a man, he know how to eat. So it, it shouldn't even matter. And y'all can take that however you want. It don't matter. Sometimes everybody can't be a renaissance man. It's okay to have somebody who's good as a specialist. You know, sometimes everybody can't be a renaissance man, right? You can be a specialist. Joe is a specialist. He specializes in certain things. Justice for Joe. But <laughs> she was... <laughs> she was so... He comes over there with this, with this, with this whole like container of this banana pudding. And then he even brought out the wafers on the side for her. I was like, okay. <laughs> I just wonder how that would have played out. Like I get to see Joe with his with his Baltimore accent just being like, oh so okay, well, I just I just wonder what was going on. I'm just I'm really good at impersonations, but that's how I, I you know Joe be like you know okay, you know when we get the banana pudding and everything like that, I I see what's going on. All right, I see man. That's how he would have been. He would have been sizing that dude up. And they two, these are two tightest of men. Okay, like like you know, but she got her banana pudding. She was super excited. <laughs> I know she listens to this looking like what. What are you doing? I know, I know. I just don't know what came of me to that, that why that was a memory in my head. But she got her banana pudding. She loved it, and so we're gonna probably be back for um to try the fall menu at Restaurant Alexander. Clearly, Joe was like, you know, we should make this. Joe's probably like, you know, we should make this a couples night. You know, we all should get together and do a couples night dinner. You know, it's the four of us. So it's probably gonna be a couples night dinner, so he can he can see that action. <laughs> So anyway, it was an incredible dinner. We had everything. We had duck. We had we had duck. We had seafood. We had that menu was incredible. I love Restaurant Alexander. It is really one of my favorite restaurants in Philly. Just the the soul, the the the, the comfort, the vibe, the ambiance. It feels like another home away from home. And I mean, it's just. It's it's superb. Highly recommend it. It was a great dinner. And I'm just so happy. You know, shout out to my boy Josh East Philly. Apparently, he was the one behind the scenes. Because let me be clear. We were on Monday. And as you all know, Restaurant Alexander is closed on Monday. So they was able to get me a private dinner. And it was just us in the restroom. In a rest, restroom, uh, restaurant. It was just us in that restaurant. It was, it was just seven of us. 
and the incredible chefs. And for them to pull that together and do that for me was just so thoughtful. So I am so just grateful and, and thankful that that happened. And what a surprise. I, I really did not know that was going to be the surprise. Y'all, I really did not. So just, and in the timeliness of when it comes, I always feel like these moments of joy and celebration comes at the time when it's just need the most. And so, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you. And um, it was fabulous. Keeping up with the great vibes, um, this week I went to uh, Forinthia, uh, for, for I think that's how you pronounce it. It's a, it's a lovely French um, restaurant that's in Old City. And they are now having this happy hour that is pretty much running every day of the week. But they even have it on Sundays from 5 to 9. Their entire Sunday dinner time is a happy hour. Um, it's dinner, but you get the happy hour drink specials. Isn't that wild? We went, it was me and Gio and, and some other great friends. My homegirl, Laura, came and Najee and everybody over there. And it was a good old time. We had really good food. And I and I never knew they had this really, really thoughtful happy hour over there. But it was super, super dope. Um, Friday night, I went to um, Patty Jackson's, Miss Patty Jackson's 60th birthday, which is out in Wincote. And I must say, that party was lit. The legendary Patty Jackson, who is a is a mentor of me, she's a broadcasting, you know, legend, of course, of radio at WDS Radio. She celebrated her 60th birthday party, and she was fabulous. It was a great time. Everybody that was everybody was there. I mean, everybody was there. I mean, she had council member Kenyatta Johnson give her a a, a, a citation. He read. Um, Mike and, and Alex Holly and Mike Jarek was there. Um, everybody was there. Um, it was, it was, it was so many names. I can't even recall everybody, but I just remember so many big people. I mean, she's a legend. It was like her party was lit. I mean, the catering was by Brown's Kitchen, Miss Pat Brown, for those who know. She's been feeding me since I was 18, and she's proud to tell people that because before I was you know, famous, and I say in parentheses, but, you know, before I was known, she was feeding me in the boys' college house. Every Thanksgiving, they would, we have the Thanksgiving feast. Miss Pat Brown used to come out there and do that catering spread. That food was the bomb. I'm proud to say that 13 years later, that food is still bomb. Shout out to Pat. I've been having her since I graduated from college, too, but it's just always great to see her. She caters so many great events, and the food is always good. So that was she had that they she had Patty had this big sixty of cake. It was the letter six zero. It was big old sixty cake that was there. I forget who who was the ones who did her desserts, but it was it was a party. It was a party. It had all the bells and whistles and lights and the cameras in action. It was so fabulous. And um, this weekend, as far as far as restaurants go, I had the pleasure of going to the Morris for the first time, which I know so many of you all. Um, know about the Morris, but the, the this this is a restaurant that's in uh, Washington Square. Uh, for those who know that area, it's, it's in Center City, but it's that that Washington Square area. And the Morris is uh the Morris historical is a historical area, um around American Revolution. Um, but this restaurant is called the Morris now. It used to be called there was a restaurant there called the M. But it's called the, and it's near the Morris Hotel, which is that historical hotel. But this restaurant is called the Morris, and it's pretty brand new. Um, this concept, but it's so good. It's new American, uh, cuisine with a French touch. We had filet mignon. We had this really delicious grilled whole fish. We had tuna crudo. We had um, a rabbit pot pie that was so. Fucking delicious. Oh my God. I'm still thinking about that pot pie right now. We had fat. 
we had um we had this 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 beer white cheddar beer fondue um that was just so good with toast it had crumbled bacon bits on it we had this this heirloom tomato grilled uh tomato salad it was a beet meat a, a beet meat i think it was a beef eater or whatever they call it tomato it was like a really good um tomato it was like really thick cut and it was grilled and had the feta on top that was delicious um and the dessert was phenomenal as well we had uh this really good chocolate tort cake and then we had a, a pina cotta with passion fruit it was it was great eating there highly recommended it is the best fall restaurant i've been to this year as far as fall like the fall the seasonal elements of the fall menu it just everything about it tastes like the season like it was a nice chilly weather outside saturday night not too cold but definitely was not warm um and I just felt like the food really felt like fall. Like, I feel like I'm in that season. Like, I feel like we're past the summer vibes now. Like, I don't want to put on, you know, any shorts. I don't I don't really want to do too much. Like, I want to put on nice sweat. Like, I'm I'm really embracing the fall weather again. I'm, I'm, you know, the cardigans are coming back out. The members only jackets that are knitted. I got these from American Eagle, y'all. I got these really cute knitted. They're like wool sweaters. They're, they're, they're sweater polos i forget how to describe them, but i'm wearing those like i'm in the zone now like i'm in my fall weather fashion vibe we keeping it cute we're not doing too many patterns and designs we're not doing florals really we're keeping it really cute we're doing stripes we're doing you know solid colors we, we're not doing too much like in the summer oh i get wild with it i get the florals i get the designs i get the the paisley we're not really doing all that for the winter and the fall season we, we keeping it solid colors we keeping big stripes we keeping it real cute for the fall that that's just what I'm doing fashion wise. So when you see me out here and you're like, oh, you know, Ernest, you know, he got a nice little subtle touches, looking like money, smelling like it, but he's not doing too much razzle dazzle. Why not? I'm not doing too much razzle dazzle because when it's the fall and the winter, it's giving get the fuck outside, get the fuck back in the house weather. So when you're going in and going out, you're not really trying to do too much. You know what I'm saying? We're gonna have a cute little boot. But we're not doing all of that, you know. See, summer, I love it. You know, summer, the cheeks is out. You know, we're doing a lot. Y'all saw the Renaissance outfits. That's the summer, right? And in the spring, you tease it in the spring. Like, I start getting a little floral. A little floral. I get a little pastel colors in the in the spring. You know, we're doing watercolor. We're doing a couple of little seasonal things. But when I get to that fall and winter, baby, it is straight solids. The colors are darker. I'm not playing with white. We ain't supposed to be doing white anyway after Labor Day. But it is it is solid colors, darker colors. You know, we, we can be cute and slim in it, but we're going to keep it. We're going to keep everything on the right note. You know, you know how the girls say on Wednesdays we do pink. No, no. In, 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 in fall, we do we do stripes and solids. Okay? Just, just, just putting that out there. Okay? Also, um, you know, what else did I do? I went to, yeah, so Morris was fabulous. I also went to the brand new Kiddo. Okay, Kiddo is right there in Midtown Village. Um, you know, I don't I don't call it the neighborhood because it's not in the heart, but it's in that off skirts. But I went to Kiddo um, and um, it was delicious. Mr. Johnson and I made a weekend of just new restaurants and trying some new things. They have an incredible succulent pork chop and pork chops like thick cut pork chops is so far from me very vegetable for they have very great dishes for vegetarians vegans and the like they have an incredible incredible menu very they they, they pride themselves on having a vegetable for menu um which they do 
And the food is and it's very good, very flavorful. You can tell they put a lot of thought into the recipes because initially when I went, I was like, is this going to be like sweet green on steroids? No, it's not. It was not. It was a very unique experience. And I really love the vibe of the restaurant. It's like it's got that farm to table feel, but not too pretentious. I love that about it. It was very chill. Very, very chill. Their liquor license, they got cocktails, you know, they got mocktails. It's a very fun restaurant for people who, number one, just want to have a good, try something different out the box, but also for people who might be thinking about alternative ways of eating for certain particular diets or transitions. This is a great place that I feel like everyone can enjoy regardless of allergies, different sensitivities. There are meat dishes for sure, but they also have vegetarian and vegan options as well. So I really appreciated how vegetable focused and forward it was. And I really had a good time there. It was really, really good. Also, I want to add too, I had the pleasure of going to see Wicked at the Kimmel. Wicked is one of my top five favorite uh, musicals of all time. It is one of my favorites, my top five. So you all want to know what are my top five? You know, my top five is Chicago. I love Chicago. Into the Woods. I just love Sonahheim. I just love Sonahheim's Into the Woods. It, Into the Woods never gets old for me. Chicago never gets old for me. Into the Woods, Chicago. I love um, Wicked. Wicked is also just another classic um y'all gonna be shocked by my other two i'm a gypsy girl i love gypsy you'll be well you'll be great it's just broadway for me like i love it and i love patty lapone okay i know there's ethel mormon and everybody else i love the patty lapone gypsy i can eat i live i live off of gypsy gypsy is just ugh. gypsy is just mm. Love Gypsy. And then my fifth one um, that also just that just does it for me every single time is. Um, and, I, and I struggle with this one because there's, there's different. There's a couple of honorable mentions, but this one right here, I just it's a classic. And when it, and, it, and I'm so sad that I never got to actually see it on Broadway. But it's 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 Phantom, the Phantom and Opera, baby. It, it's a classic. You you cannot go wrong with Phantom, baby. I'm sorry. Now some honorable mentions. I love Mamma Mia. When my I heard Mamma Mia is coming to Philly next year, I'm going to try to get my ass to go see it. I love me some Mamma Mia. It is also another favorite one of the album music. I feel like it's the best musical out of all the musicals I've went to and I've heard about. It's the best musical to me that did a good job incorporating mainstream music. Now. Look, I like Tina the Musical. I, I like all the other ones, right? But I just felt like this one, the way it was done in the storyline and how creative it was, I feel like it's the best of the best. Y'all already know how I feel about Hamilton, so don't even ask where's Hamilton. Um, other honorable mentions that stand out to me, you know, The Lion King, love The Lion King, okay? Really do love The Lion King, can never take away The Lion King. Um, Cabaret I like, but I just feel like, you know, Chicago just is just, that does it for me. Um, other musicals that stand out, um, you know, I like Evita, mad respect to Evita, mad respect to Evita. Um, you know, Rent, depending on who's doing Rent, you know, The Color Purple, really love The Color Purple musical, but the reason why I didn't choose The Lion King and The Color Purple, like, those are exceptional musicals, because I don't, I want to be clear that I want straight to Broadway, 
Um, I don't want films that then turn into Broadway musicals. Yeah, I'm that strict about my Broadway musicals. I like musicals that are, are things that are written for the stage. I don't like things that are like, oh, we, well, let me clarify. It's not that I don't like them. Like, I do appreciate film adaptations that become Broadway adaptations. Like, the, 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 the Color Purple, I think, is one of the best examples. And The Lion King are the two best examples of how you could take a musical concept from a film and you can transform it into a production that has a life of its own. The Color Purple musical is so good that they are making a musical film adaptation that is not a, a film remake, but an actual, an actual remake of the musical. That's how good the Color Purple musical is. Like, that's just how important it was on Broadway, and I enjoyed it. You also know what? I forgot another one. I love Dreamgirls. I've loved, I love the Dreamgirls. I, I, my mother took me when I was in middle school, and I just love that musical in general. Dreamgirls is definitely in there. And that's actually Mr. Johnson's favorite. I think Mr. Johnson's favorite is Dreamgirls. Yes, I think he's he loves Dreamgirls. Y'all can't listen. Dreamgirls, whew, child, he loved him from the Dreamgirls. And the reason why we also love Dreamgirls is because it was also an original musical um, that wasn't like a spin or a bio. Like it's, a, it's 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 loosely inspired or based off of, of course, the Supremes with Diana Ross and Barry Gordon, right? But it is its own written ima imaginary musical story. It's a, it's 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 its own original, like. Versus like all these ain't too proud to beg or beautiful the Carol Cole um, you know musical all those other musical adaptations they're adaptations of bios like they're biopics turned musicals and they do well right but I'm just thinking of a, original songs and things that are clearly from there so again my top five favorite musicals that I personally love um, in no particular order is Chicago Wicked. Gypsy, Into the Woods, Phantom and Opera. Those are my five. Those are my, my top five. Um, but there's several other great ones. And I encourage people to, you know, definitely check out the Kimmel for great musicals. They they have stuff going on like almost every every month there's a new musical um and experience. So shout out to the Kimmel Center. There was a lovely reception they had uh following um Wicked. And I just thought how awesome did that happen? Because the songs that they the songs really resonated with me. Um, with everything going on in my life, I mean, defying gravity, I almost cried. I it was a little teary eyed towards that that you know that um, intermission part, like that whole song, what it meant, what it recognized and symbolizes. I mean, the lyrics, it just it just touched me in a different way um, than it had before. But it was a really great show, and I was um, super thrilled for it. Um, but yeah, um, and just following up, you know, it's been a week. It's been a really interesting week. Like the first week leading up to this weekend, last week, compared to where we are now, you know, the momentum for the gala, the PBJ Awards gala, which is this upcoming weekend. I, I couldn't be as through and exciting. And I think what I have learned and, you know, you, look, I've learned about myself. And I even learned with my crew. Right. It's just like when you get into that space where you're upset, you're pissed off, you're disappointed. You got to feel the feels. You got to let them come out naturally. And then you have to move on. And you also have to be real about things. Because sometimes 
there's so much stuff going on that you have all that you're, you're projecting so much. You're, you're overthinking things. You're overanalyzing things. And sometimes you're inner, you're inner thinking things that you sometimes don't take a step back to actually look at what's in front of you and the reality of it. And I tell a lot of my friends that in their own lives, but even with myself, I had to do that. Sometimes you're putting too much value on people or things that don't even warrant that much concern or input. And so, you know, I've been doing a lot of interviews. You know, I've been in the media, you know, doing the interviews, talking to the to the press. And one of the things that came up in, in some, one of the conversations was that there was people, you know, words matter to me as a wordsmith. And someone was just basically saying, you know, oh, I know there's this stuff going on with the with the with the NABJ Philly people. And, you know, y'all beefing with them and beefing. I said beefing. I said, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Now that I had taken some time to reflect, I'm like, I'm not beefing with people that are old enough to be my grandparents. I'm not doing that. I'm not beefing with with, with, with folks that are that that many of them are senior citizens. I'm not beefing with people. I'm not doing like what are we talk about beefing. Like that's just that's just been that's beneath me. Like I don't have any beef with any of these individuals. Do I am I do I disagree with them? Absolutely. Do do I think what they're doing is counterproductive? Absolutely. Do I think that what they're doing is going to give them more distress than success? 100%. But am I beefing? No. I'm not beefing with with any of these people. You know, I as the proud president of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists, I I hope that they will find their way. And and I and I and I seriously mean that. Um Another misconception that people have said is that to me is that they say, well, you know, I see, you know, there's two different organizations. I just want to correct the record here. There's not two different organizations. There's one organization and there's a gang of people. And let me make this even more clear. The Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists is an organization. We have a headquarters, we have an office, we have a bank account, we have an EIN number, we have a website, we have active social media pages that has hundreds upon thousands of followers and people that engage. We have a membership base of over 300 people. We have a history and a legacy that, that is nearly 50 years. We're an organization. We, we, we pay taxes. Well, we're tax exempt. Well, we, you know, we do tax forms. We, we work with the Commonwealth. We do the IRS. We are an actual legitimate 501c3 organization. Now, this other group, and I think that's the way I would describe them, they don't have any of those things. So when people say, which organization should I support? You have a choice. You can support our organization or you can support that group of individuals. All organizations are groups of individuals. All groups of individuals aren't organizations. So, you know, some people call them pirates. I'm not going to be derogatory. You know, there is some insubordination. There was some insubordination there, but I won't call them pirates. But they're a gang. They're a gang of people, you know, disgruntled folks. And, you know, it's 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 going to be hard out here. It's a, it's a cold winter. Winter is coming. And I just want them to snuggle up and I just want them to, you know, be good. But, you know, it's it's interesting because over the past couple of days, you know, people have called and there's some buyer's remorse from some of these folks that decide to be treacherous. And they're like, you know, saying, you know, I, I realized that that this this group didn't have their their shit together. And, you know, when I asked where could I pay dues, they, they told me there was no, you know, operation. But, you know, I mean, listen. You know, people make impulsive decisions when they're bitter. 
And so I just hope that they are well because our organization, organization, let me be clear, our nonprofit, you know, because this is bigger than me. I mean, if you want to create a club or a little social circle or a little gathering where you get the inquirer to pay for your food because you can't afford your own food, um, you can do that. But but let's be clear and be accurate in the public about what these things are. You belong to somebody. I don't belong to anybody. PBJ doesn't belong to anyone but itself. You all have to answer to a national organization that doesn't give you a damn dime or a cent or a penny. I just think sometimes it's important. You know, I've been having these conversations in the press and people have been asking me questions. And, you know, I, I just want people to be understanding of what this is versus what it isn't. You know, so. Just want to add that. So moving on to some of the big things that's been happening. Oh, my goodness. Did you all see these polls? And if you did it, it's kind of sad. Joe Biden is behind. What is going on? According to the New York Times Center College polls of six states likely to decide the presidency, Trump leads Biden in five of those six states, including Pennsylvania. Okay, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, and Michigan would likely be enough to give him the 270 electoral votes that Trump needs to win in 2024. Biden leads in the sixth state, which is Wisconsin. And no shade to Wisconsin because, you know, y'all cheese is good. But Wisconsin alone is not going to bring Biden victory. He is ahead in five of six swing states. And I'm going to tell y'all the numbers, okay? Nevada. Biden has 41%, Trump has 52%. Arizona, Trump has 49%, Biden has 44%. Michigan, Trump has 48%, Biden has 43%. Georgia, Trump has 49%, Biden has 43%. And let me be clear, Michigan, Trump has 48%. Pennsylvania, Trump has 48%, Biden has 44%. And Wisconsin, but in Wisconsin, Biden has 47, Trump has 45. And baby, let me say this for my math and my statisticians. Have y'all noticed that in all those five states, Trump has either five or higher percentage points. Wisconsin, it's 47 Biden, 54, I mean, 45 Trump. That's only a 2% difference. Nevada, there's a 10% lead for Trump. Georgia, there's a six-point lead for Trump. Arizona is a five-point lead. Michigan is a five-point lead. Pennsylvania, there is a four-point lead in Pennsylvania. Okay, okay, Pennsylvania, I see y'all PA. Okay, Philly. But Wisconsin, it's only a 2% difference. So, honestly, that margin of error for me, eh, I don't know. I don't know if Biden should be, you know, pumping his chest too much. Because that can switch in a year or so. We are literally a year away from the November 2024 election, okay? This is no joke. This is no joke. It is it's serious. Tuesday, November 5th. Okay? Tuesday, November 5th, 2024. We are one year out. We are a little, we're less, a little less than one year out. November 5th, 2024 will be the election. Now you all remember last, like a couple of days ago, was the 15th anniversary of the nation's the election of the nation's first black president, Barack Hussein Obama. That was 15 years ago. This weekend, this past weekend. Now, look at us now. We're one year away. And look where we're at now in this country. Just saying. Just saying. 
you know, there's, there's, I, I, so, so a lot of you are going to ask me, what does this mean? How do I feel about it? And you want me to analyze it? And I am going to do the best I can. It is hard. I'm not shocked. Let me just say this. I'm not shocked because I feel like a lot of the stuff that's going on with these wars, this, 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 this foreign aid, the, the issues around student college debt, but not so much the student college debt, but a lot of this other stuff that's going on. I just feel like people are like, what the fuck? See, I'm going to say this and, and this, I'm going to say some of this. I do feel like when Republicans are in power, I feel the backlash. Like I feel conservatives going 10 toes down their shit. They are completely, I feel, I feel the marginalization. I feel the backlash. But when Democrats get elected, I don't feel, I mean, at least in recent years, I don't feel the backlash for conservatives. I don't feel this benefit, this boost as a, as a goddamn liberal. I don't feel the, the insert in the joke. I don't. All I'm getting is Kamala Harris laughing, the VP laughing all the time and grinning and smiling. All this symbolic shit for these bourgeoisie folks. All this, 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 this posturing. What are we doing? What the fuck are we doing? We are one year away from the election. What are we doing, Democrats? What are we doing? It's too much. So, you know, there's a part of me that wonders, and this is just me, a modest proposal. I'm not Jonathan Swift, but I have a modest proposal. Should he be primaried? I mean, could is, is, this, is this the time to potentially consider a primary? Could we consider a primary? I don't know, but I am, if, if there was ever a time to consider a primary, this might be the time, y'all. I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm, 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 I'm under the impression that maybe we should consider a primary for Biden. I, I don't know who would be the person, is it Gavin Newsom, but there might be, there might need to be a shakeup of sorts. We might need to check in with the Democrats and ask people in our own base, do we feel 100% competent in this man Doing another four years. But here's my overall thoughts. As of right now. As of right now in early November 2023. Okay, don't use this and hold it to me for next year because my mind will change as the polls change. But here's what I will say. And I and I mean this. <sighs> Here's an important thing that I'm going to say. I think that at this point with everything that's going on, I think that Democrats or the least Biden aides are hoping that the Trump trials will bring him down in a position where he can't even be on the ballot or he cannot actually make it to the end. I don't know, but I feel like as the trial intensifies, if he's found guilty, if we get to a verdict on some of these cases, could that lead to him not being eligible to run or would that impact the way that Republican voters decide on him in the primaries? Like, basically, is there a way that Republicans might not actually, if, if Trump is found guilty during this trial process, by the time we get to the primary, like, is there any way that potentially Trump is not the nominee? And if so, if the verdict comes out before the election or any of these cases that he's found guilty for any of this stuff, that this could impact the perception of whether he can actually serve in office. Because there might be a way where I'm like, maybe Trump is really avoiding 
trying to maybe there, there's a there's a conspiracy in the thought that potentially he is trying to get back in the White House to protect himself from any legal accountability. Because in this entire time period, while the courts and everybody was trying to track him down and lay him down, they were trying to slow down the progression of his ability to to run and to, to be able to, to do it. And so it's a matter of figuring out will Republicans eat themselves alive and will these Republican candidates come out even stronger um, that's going to get them to try to take him down um, for as a candidate. But there's a matter of time. I wonder if the Democrats are hoping that that these people flush each other out so that he is ineligible or not able to really be as strong of a candidate and that there'll be a weaker alternative to Biden by the time we get to 2024. And then by then, right, while we're in primary season, the likelihood of an incumbent losing to a freshly new, non-experienced elected is different. So let me explain this. By, like Trump is one of the few presidents in American history. I'm thinking of in recent history. You're thinking of like Jimmy Carter. You're thinking of uh, George Herbert Walker Bush that did not win re-election. Okay, they did not win re-election. Um, Trump is now the third one in the past, in recent history, to not win re-election. Trump, you know... Did you know lost? Um, he didn't get the win, but he lost to somebody who had previous, unlike you know, the situation with George Herbert Walker Bush, just like with the situation with um, with, with Jimmy Carter. In this situation, we're seeing somebody we, Trump lost to somebody who already served in the White House as a vice president, which was Biden. Not advice. Biden has eight years of vice presidential experience. Now four years as a U.S. president. It's it's going to be interesting to see it because we haven't seen anything like that in a long time. Now George Herbert Walker Bush was the vice president of Ronald Reagan. He served eight years with Reagan and then he served one full years president. Biden is trying to do something that's very interesting. He could potentially be one of the few rare presidents in our modern day history that served complete. Because even Al Gore couldn't do it. Al Gore did. Eight years with, with with Clinton to run for president of the United States against Bush. He lost to Bush. Many people will say he was cheated, but he lost to Bush. But now we haven't seen anything like that in recent history where somebody has done four years of vice president and then four years of president. I mean, I'm sorry, eight years as vice president and eight years as president. Like both of those roles, that's 16 years in the White House, technically. Now, there was a little gap. Right. We had a four year gap. So Biden had a four year gap, but he did eight years straight with Obama for vice president, took a four year gap for the Trump era. And now he gets to have, you know, this this interesting, you know, could potentially have an eight year stint as president. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, history tells us. And I don't want to be a predictor. I don't want it to be a doomsday, but history tells us several things. History has not given us. Except Reagan in recent history, a, a marathon of of 12 years, to 16 years of consistent political domination. So what I mean by that is we saw eight years of, 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 of Clinton, eight years of Bush, eight years of Obama, right? Republican, Democrat, Republican. So Trump winning in 2016 should not have been too much of a shock because it's really seldom that we see that much political reign of a party for that extension of time. The last time we saw that in modern history was Reagan. Reagan had eight years as a Republican president. He was so influential and popular that he was able to grant and get George Walker, Herbert Walker Bush, the first Bush, of a presidency for four years. 
if Herbert Walker Bush did not do Desert Storm and would have never fucked up on the whole read my lips, no new taxes shit, we could have saw 16 years of Republican power from the 80s to the 90s. It didn't happen. Thank God. We got Clinton. Clinton was popular enough that we almost saw Al Gore, but because I think his scandals, we couldn't get Al Gore in. And sadly, Obama was just not that influential enough to get us to having a Hillary, right? Even though she had the majority of the popular vote, but not the electoral vote. So it's an interesting situation we're witnessing here. I mean, Trump just was so unpopular that Biden took in, right? We didn't want Republican power. So we are skipping a gap, right? We're doing exactly what happened with Carter. Carter, Jimmy Carter only served one term as president before Reagan came in. Are we witnessing the possibility that we can have Democratic power for eight years and then some after Trump? Like, will we never elect a Republican again as president given how badly Trump fucked up? I don't know. I thought after Bush we was going to move forward, but then Trump came. So we don't know. But if history serves us, the likelihood of a Republican winning next year is really high because I, we haven't seen a vice president or elected official have eight years as a VP and eight years as a president. We haven't seen it. So history is kind of a little not so much on Biden's side. Just to consider. This is me putting this out there for consideration. But we, you know, stranger things have happened. So we're just going to keep an eye out. But all I'm going to tell you all is you better register to vote. You better register to vote. Because we, we you know, it, it, the excuses are getting short. The excuses, the excuses are getting, um, you know, short. So there's a lot of things going on right now. Um, and... You know, there's there's just a lot. Um, everyone's talking about Eric Trump, you know, because Trump still has his trial. The trial is going on, um, which I know a lot of us are not interested in because there's so many, um, you know, things going on. But Trump is claiming, you know, Eric Trump, which is the son of Donald Trump, says that he's, he believes he's collateral damage in this New York civil uh, fraud trial that he's doing. Like, you know, on Friday, he's been saying that he's collateral, uh, you know, he's collateral damage. You know, he's been really, you know, pissed off about some of the things that have been said about his father, of course. But there's some major takeaways and things to consider. You know, different media outlets like CNN has been reporting on this and the New York Times, Axios, others. Everyone's been talking about it. Um, you know, Leticia James, you know, the New York attorney general, she was pressing both Trump's, Trump's uh, two adult sons, which is Eric Trump and then, of course, Donald Trump Jr. Um, but she pressed them basically because of the fact that they both helped run the Trump organization, you know, while their father was in the White House. And a lot of the stuff that came out is a lot. Eric Trump was confronted with a lot of emails showing his work on Trump's finances. There was a lot of... Interesting things that came up, um, the way that he responded to it, he says that he doesn't focus on appraisals, which was a red flag. Donald Trump Jr. said he relied on accountants. And, you know, the judge really, you know, um, you know, she, she, they admonished Trump's lawyer, admonished Trump's lawyer over the clerk, over clerk. And that was really intense. It was a very intense interview, um, a process or whatever like that. Um, one of the things that came out was, you know, um, 
Chris Kais is the Trump attorney. And in the conversation, there were some comments um, where she's where Aragon, who is, you know, the judge, basically said there could be a bit of quote unquote misogyny in the continued criticism of the female law clerk that was there. And at one point, this attorney had to say, I'm not a misogynist. I'm very happily married and I have a 17 year old daughter. I reject that squarely. And the clerk, the clerk's role basically was uh, sitting alongside the judge led to Trump basically attacking her on social media. It was a lot of things that was said. And the judge defended the clerk's role, noted that, you know, him, you know, though that she passes him during testimony or confidential communications from my law clerk is what the judge said, pounding on the bench and argued she's a civil servant. She's doing what I asked her to do is what the judge said of the clerk, because Trump had been the Trumps have been saying a lot of things. And it's also been really interesting that Eric Trump was invoking the Fifth Amendment, his Fifth Amendment rights and investi- investigatory interview you know, years ago in the case that this invoke of the Fifth Amendment, just covering himself. But here's the big deal. This week, okay, Donald Trump takes the stand on Monday. That's what everybody's waiting for. Donald Trump is slated to 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 talk early this week and he's going to take the stand. And, you know, last month he was called to testify about a comment he made in the hallway in apparent reference to the clerk, which, again, was in violation of the gag order or order barring discussion of his staff. There's been a lot of gag order issues this entire time, but it's a lot happening. It's a lot. And Donald Trump has been on Truth Social, which is that app, that social media app he has, which seems like no one really cares about. It doesn't seem like it's a big, huge success. But he um, had posted, I don't want to say the word tweeted because it's not Twitter, but he said, quote, so sad to see my sons being persecuted, in all caps, he wrote, in a political witch hunt by this out of control, public publicity seeking New York State judge on a case that should have, in all caps, never been brought. Legal scholars scream disgrace is what he posted. So there's a lot. Um, Ivanka, um, who is Trump's daughter, filed an appeal Thursday on Thursday to try to block previous order for her to testify in a trial until an appeal can be heard by the New York Appellate Court. They're fighting it, y'all. This is only one of many lawsuits that Trump has coming. But the case is still going. It is getting serious. And every time I turn around, it's something new. It's something new. So... You know, I don't know if people have seen this. You know, I don't really watch CNN as much as I used to. But, you know, Trump is, you know, the, <sighs> George Santos has just been in a bunch of shit. George Santos, Congressman George Santos, you know, he is fresh off a vote that tried to expel him from the chamber, um, which, you know, he lives to see another day. Um, he overwhelmingly had support from Republicans um, and Democrats to stay in Congress, which is interesting. But that's at least until the Ethics Committee offers an update on his situation. So he is facing a lot of drama. But he, you know, there was a resolution that was led by fellow New York Republicans. They they wanted to basically expel him from being in Congress. That resolution failed 179 to 213. There were 31 Democrats opposed to removing him and 21 Republicans that voted to expel him. 
19 members voted present, which is a no, which is pretty much a no vote. Um, but the 23 federal charges that Santos faced, now this is conspiracy, wire, and credit card fraud. We talked about it in previous episodes and also making false statements and records and even aggravated identity theft. That was enough to get 21 Republicans a vote for his removal. And that's before the ethics committee rules on his case. Okay, so it required two thirds of the House to give the disgraced congressman a boot, and and the and the Daily Beast reported on this, um, you know, over the over the past couple of days. There's a lot of issues here, you know. The lawyer for George Santos's treasurer says that he was also duped by him. There's a lot of people coming out and speak out against him. But he recently did an interview with CNN over the weekend to try to talk about a lot of the lies, the deceptions, and all the crap he's done. Um, and this is, again, to this 23-count federal indictment um, that is trying to convict him of all of those things. Um, you know, I, I watched the, the interview. George Santos is on his bullshit per usual. But, you know, the interview does little to really explain really why he made those false claims. He spoke to Manu uh, Raju uh, from CNN, and he basically said that a lot of it was based on insecurity and stupidity. Um, he had all these excuses, but it's a lot, you know, he's talking about how he lost privacy. He lost the ability to have a normal life. I hear all of that Santos, but I'm still also not understanding where all this is coming from. You know, one of the weird things that happened was the people talking about his alleged Jewish heritage, right? He has been saying since he ran for Congress in 2022 that he was Jewish. He's a Latino Jew and that, and then genealogy records claim that wasn't true. He then tried to claim that he was Jew-ish with the with with the hype in between the Jew and the ish, even though he told the Republican Jewish Coalition that he was actually Jewish. Again, weird things. Like in this interview, he goes on. He's talking about how his grandfather's from the Ukraine, even though. The broadcaster debunked that. Then he falsely claimed he had never claimed to be Jewish, even though you could do a good a quick Google search to find it out. And then he talked about he spent the last 10 months hiring genealogists to prove this case. But that the Ukraine's quote unquote freaking war had complicated his ability to do that. that okay. But so then Raju had asked him straight up, did do you, you have do you have, actually ask him, do he have documented proof that his grandparents fled the Holocaust? Because that's what he was claiming. And he said he is working on getting the last pieces of that, specifically, you know, the piece in Brazil where they went to Brazil and there's documents that there was apparently documents that were forged, forged. And so they can blend in all of that. It's, it's ridiculous. But at the end of the day, it's obvious that a lot of stuff he said is just not true. So... He ends the, you know, a lot of the interview, he's getting asked these questions and he says at the end, you know, quote, you know, I'm not going to sit here and continuously debate my entire life. Look, as a human being, have I made mistakes and have I owned up to them? Yes, I have. But it feels like everybody wants to obsess over that. I'm sorry, Congressman. You are a single elected official getting paid. OK, being paid right? you're getting a compensation by taxpayers dollars. You can't just be out here just claiming that you're Jewish, lying that your grandparents fled from the Holocaust and making up all this shit while also getting, you know, 23 count indictments and not expecting people 
to look at you and question it. Like, I, and how do you do that and attack people like Biden and Democrats? I just don't understand. So there are those times, y'all, where, let's, listen, I know that Biden and Democrats are fucking up, and I, and I definitely see it. But there's also moments where I'm just like, the Republicans got their own fish to fry. So doff I protest too much? Should we necessarily spend this time, you know, throwing bullets and shots at any people? I don't know. But what I will tell you is, you know, the grass ain't necessarily green on the other side. So I want to talk about this. It's a little different. I mean, there's a lot of other things I, you know, that are happening and I know people want to know. So I have been just this story about this Alabama mayor who committed suicide. Um, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. So F.L. Bubba. Copeland. He was a mayor of Smith Station, and he was also the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Phoenix City. He shot himself in front of police um, during a welfare check um, on Friday. And this was because this conservative blog called 1819 News, um, which was previously owned by the right-wing Alabama Policy Institute, and the editor is a former Breitbart News contributor. There was an article written, The Secret Life of Smith Station Mayor and Baptist Pastor F.L. Bubba Copeland as a Transgender Curvy Girl. It's a hobby I do to relieve stress. That was the name of the story. Now, they published the username to Copeland's Reddit and Instagram accounts. And basically, they said, quote, in various outfits, some more racy than others. The blog, you know, basically said, use a synonym, Brittany. They said that Copeland called himself Brittany Blair Summerlin and posted pornography and advice on chemically transitioning. The blog also reported and confirmed that the accounts were run by him, saying that they were, quote, a hobby he used for, quote, getting out of stress. They reported, they, they reported that, they, that Copeland asked them not to out him, but they did so anyway. Even though it it showed that, even though it does not appear he had taken any public position against LGBTQ issues that can be construed as hypocritical, so he is a Republican mayor. He he is a he's a Republican mayor in this small town, and he never it appears his history he was never anti LGBTQ hypocrite. Now there you know there are Republicans in the past that are very anti gay, and then they get you know outed in his way to show how they're hypocritical. But he's never appeared to be like that. Um, apparently, but they did publish a short article on Friday without a byline to report, um, his suicide, um, which is really interesting that they didn't connect the dots that what they did to him was the cause of that. Um, you know, he did a lot of work. Um, his church referred to, you know, what was interesting was that, he, when he was elected, it's only about roughly 5,000 people in this, uh, that's near the Georgia state line. He was elected in 2016. He was in a national spotlight when tornado, tornadoes had ravaged his area and Trump visited. Um, he was photographed with Trump. He used the picture to, re- re- to campaign for re-election in 2020. Um, but his extracurricular activities involving him getting involved in drag they had turned into a, a community-wide controversy. His church referred to his unbiblical behavior. And, you know, parishers, you know, he, he reportedly told the parishers that the article did not represent, quote, 
who or what I am, um, you know, that was the statement. You know, he added that it would, quote, not cause my life to change. He said, he furthermore said in his final sermon before he passed away, and this was streamed online, because this was when the article was about to come out and it was, there was a speculation. He said, this will not waver my devotion to my family, serving my city, serving my church. Um, he's married. He said, uh, he described himself during that sermon on, on last Wednesday. That was the last sermon he gave before he committed suicide. Um, he said that a lot of things were taken out of context. He said that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people had reached out to offer their support for him. You know, he says, I've taken pictures with my wife in the privacy of our home in an attempt of humor because I know I am, I'm not a handsome man nor a beautiful woman. I apologize for any embarrassment caused by my private and personal life. And so he committed suicide. You know, the, the Lee County Sheriff deputies, they pulled, you know, they they tried to pull him over for a wellness check, a welfare check. Um, and they witnessed him step out the car and shoot himself. And, you know, there's a lot going on. Um, people have... You know, spoken out. Um, you know, people have said, you know, things of nature of, you know, digging up someone's personal life is reporting on what someone posts public on social media. Interesting take. That was a disgusting comment that got later defeated, de de deleted. This was posted on Twitter. And, you know, the, the it was written by Craig Monger. And while people were criticizing Craig Monger, who wrote that 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 piece for the eight for 1819. Um, news, which is that conservative site, he had tweeted that, you know, digging up someone's personal life is reporting on what someone posts public. Digging up someone's personal life is reporting on what someone posts publicly on social media. Interesting take. And then, you know, he wrote pictures posted on Reddit are now considered private, according to Kitty Table of Alabama Media. Um, he has not posted since Copeland's death, however, as of the time of this podcast recording. Um, the Phoenix school superintendent who said he was an old friend of Copeland shared his anger and heartbreak in a Facebook post. There's just a lot of people that's upset. Um, someone wrote, um, he wrote, uh, the friend wrote, I am so angry right now and heartbroken. I witnessed a good man be publicly ridiculed and crucified over the past of the last few days to the point that he took his own life today. So I, I, you know, this is hard. This is heartbreaking. Um, for me, as a journalist, my question to these bloggers, and this is what I think about the shade room, why I don't like the shade room, why I don't like a lot of these media outlets that do this gossipy blog, is what was the intent and purpose of just sharing this information far and wide about what this man was doing? I don't know. They, they, clearly, they knew they have they knew that the eighteen nineteen news knows they have a homophobic base. They knew that because conservatives are anti LGBTQ, they knew that putting this information out far and wide, distributing it out in a way that was not viral with the platform they had, that it was it was it was going to create a level of backlash. There was no social or moral responsibility that they had in considering the impact of what this piece was going to do. Um, it's terrible, right? It's a horrible situation. And, you know, these are the moments, this is, these are the reminders of why 
where people always tell people, live your truth. I don't know why people so this and so that about being gay or being doing or being bisexual, being fluid or queer. This is why people are not out still in 2023. Because when people will weaponize and shame people based on their identities and who they are, and they do it in a way that can create divide in their communities, in their in their lives, and you don't consider people's mental health, these are the problems that erode. Now, I say all that to say that you don't help the situation when you affiliate yourself with a base of people that are hateful and spiteful. And so it is sad that this man committed suicide. It's sad that Mayor Bubba, Bubba Copeland felt like they that he couldn't live on this earth anymore because of that pressure. But I also have to say that when you affiliate yourselves with white supremacists, like in my opinion, Donald Trump, when you affiliate yourself with a group of people in a church environment where you know how they feel about other folks that are not like you, then we see that even in affiliating ourselves with these spiteful people, they will turn against you even when you try to uh, pander to their interests. You know, even when you try to step, be the step and fetch it, the pick me gay of the group, this is what happens. Right. And so when I see my when I see LGBTQ folks talk about how they're conservatives or Republicans or Trump supporters, I say, look, you like to be the token one in the group. But eventually that token gets turned. It gets flipped. And right now it's on heads, but it will turn on tails. And in in this situation, this person put themselves in this environment. And I do have sympathy. And I do think it's sad that a family, that a wife, that a a family lost a loved one. Like that's never a, 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 a good vengeful time at all. But the question becomes to the other queer conservatives in this country, look how they will do you. Look how they will shame you. And look how, look at what happened to this man. So, you know, it's an unfortunate situation, but it's something that, you know, this is what we're dealing with. So we know that election day is this week on Tuesday and, you know, it's going to be a very interesting election cycle. Uh, It's going to be historic. I do predict that um, Sherelle Parker, this is Philadelphia, will be elected the first woman mayor, the first black woman to ever hold this position as mayor of Philadelphia. I think that she's going to win. Now, I will say that over the election cycle, she has definitely, you know, done. she's got a lot of work to do. Her team got to get tighter. She's got to avoid unnecessary fumbles and pitfalls when it comes to messaging coming from her team and coming from different people. We, we, we got to do better on that front. But I think that, like I predicted over a year ago, the current climate of Philadelphia right now is just, you know, Sherelle is the person for them. You know, the, the issues with crime has not improved. We have not seen a, a necessary and, and, and very robust increase in the gun violence crisis. There are people that are legitimately scared to go outside. And I told you all a long time ago that that Eric Adams era of politics is is here. And until progressives and liberals and folks like that can sit down at the table and really get real and get serious about, you know, how we're going to, you know, come up with practical, real, realistic solutions to these immediate pressing concerns. We're going to find a lot of people voting in the direction to which we don't like based on that. 
I think that that being said, I think that Sherelle, I believe that Sherelle has the ability to be permeable. I don't think that she is 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 completely unable to evolve in her thinking about some of these issues, but that also requires people to be specific about what not only should be stopped, but what should be added. I think too often when you tell people don't do this, 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 and this, you can tell people what you don't want them to do all day. And that's effective. That matters. But you also got to tell people what you actually want them to do or what is the alternative solution. And I'm not saying that there are not organizations, groups that are doing that. But I do think that, that beyond the rhetoric and the yelling and the screaming to go viral, we have to also have a different type of, of strategy. We also have to give a little bit more grace to elected officials that are not doing every single thing that we want. There's too much of a fucking purity test within this elected cycle right now that expects everyone to say everything the way we want them to. If you're going to get in the world of politics, you got to understand that it's imperfect and you got to understand that the, the operation as it is currently is flawed beyond a doubt. But how we navigate and, and we and we and we permeate space to make a difference and make a change is going to require us to do different things in these desperate times. I'm not saying we're desperate. Desperate times call for desperate measures. I don't believe that. But I do believe that desperate times call for different measures. And so you have to have a different approach. And for me, as somebody who was completely iced out of the Kitty administration. I had no access. I was given the wall. I saw so many people still find ways to, to work alongside Kenny and talk to Kenny while I was on the outskirts. This time around, I'm not going to throw away my shot. I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm not doing it because I do believe that with so much that has happened over the past, what, four years, three, three to four years since the pandemic, now is not the time to keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And so I am opening myself up to sitting in spaces and talking to different people in power that I would never talk to. Because as long as the gun violence is where it's at, as long as our public schools are fucked up, as long as there are inequities in our city, we have to come together to figure this out. And at the end of the day, if we, if we, if we realize we can't agree on, on certain things, we, we going to have to just move on, right? But we are, we, but, but this, but we, we are not going to be able to create an imaginary world in society without some conversations and interactions with government. But we also got to be real and we got to be, we got to use our time wisely and we got to use our resources wisely. I think we're wasting too many resources making statements rather than making changes. And at this point, I'm in my 30s now. I'm paying taxes. I'm I'm paying tax tax for real for real now at this point shit. I'm I'm in a different space where my investment has to look different because of the platforms I have, because of the access I have. I can't do this the way I did it in my early 20s. I can't think and operate in the same way I've been doing because where is the maturation and the growth? But what I am going to say is that what I'm doing in my role as a journalist, as a member of this community, is that if I am going to be given the same opportunities as those before me who squandered it, I'm going to maximize this to the fullest ability. And I think that's the problem that we see 
I think specifically in Philadelphia, is that so many people have been given access and opportunity, and they just fucking blew it. They didn't do anything with it. They didn't. In, they didn't interrogate. For me. I want access and opportunity. I want to be in the room. I want to sit at the table. But I want to be able to go in there and do that work with the work and the information I know. Every opportunity to be able to question authority until they tell me, no, we don't want you here anymore because you're asking too many goddamn questions. You got to ban me again. But right now I'm in an opportunity in a space where I do have the opportunity. Like when I do my show every Thursday, Philadelphia City Council Live on WRD 96.1 FM 900 AM Progressive Black Talk Media. When I'm able to go on that show and do my thing, it's because of the fact that I've worked this hard to get there. And now that I'm there, anybody who listens to that show every Thursday, anybody who sees me out here doing these interview stories, you all know I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Tiptoe. That's what it's about. I used to think that there had to be a them versus us. That 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 outside voices, demonstrators, disruptors were the only people that you got to be that way or you have to be the internalized incremental person. I don't believe that anymore. What I'm starting to realize is, is that the people who get to see at the table, it's not that the table is, 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 is not allowing them to be who they are, that they're being silenced. It's that they're not actually afraid to lose it all. They're not afraid. They're they're, they're afraid to lose it all. They're afraid of the perception. They're afraid of all of these things because they're doing it selfishly. But what does it look like when you you are used to, when you know what it's like not to be in the room? I'm used to it. I know what it's like to do adversarial journalism. I know what it's like to get the information without. But I wondered to myself, if I'm given this opportunity to have more to more access, to more ability to get information, to inform the public, do my job, and they decide to last me, you know, we don't want you no more, I'll be okay with that. Because my reputation, my credibility, my integrity is not hell-bent on having their validation. Because I've been able to be successful without it. And so I'm navigating some different things. As we get into this next era. It's time to do this differently. It's time to think differently. And it's time to double down on what you know to be true and to dare someone to tell you no. And so I'm not at all um, worried about the outcome of this mayoral election. I'm not at all concerned about Sherelle Parker um, personally. I understand that the policies that people are seeing her talk about her campaign platforms. I believe that there is going to be opportunity and space for cooler heads to prevail. And I also will say that when people run for office, they say a lot of things to fire up a base, to get people to vote, to do whatever. But when it's time to sit down with legislative assistants and associates and teams and people start saying, "Okay, I know you said this during the campaign, but you can't really do that. Let's be real. Right. That's what's going to happen. And you know what? I don't think there's going to be too much pushback from from Parker. I think she's open because she's a black woman. She knows a lot of the nuances and obstacles more so than me. She's been in she's been in this 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 thing called life much longer than me. So I don't I don't have a lot of immediate fear about her. I think that some of the things that she has talked about, the National Guard, all that stuff in Kensington, you know, it's it's not, it, 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 come on, right? But as someone who's been reporting on government for a decade, 
I just know when things are just sometimes a little exaggerated. And I know when things are just like, okay, that can't really happen. But I understand the public's and community concerns. And that's why journalists like me are, are here to assuage a lot of that worry and con- concern. Because sometimes we got to recognize that politicians... There, there's checks and balances. They're, they're, they're being held accountable by the fifth state. They're being held accountable by all of us. So we got to recognize that this is our democracy. This is not a dictatorship. One person doesn't get to come and just turn the city upside down. We're, we're past that era. We're past the Rizzo, Rizzo days. Some of the Rizzo sentiment still exists in our communities within our policing, right? But we are in a better place. I am optimistic about that. So, you know, that's my that's some of my thoughts there, you know. Um, interesting things, um, you know, as we get ready for election day on Tuesday, as we get ready for everything that's coming up this week, there's been a lot of chatter about the democratic party and everyone know what I think about, you know, uh, committee chair, uh, the, the democratic committee chair leader, uh, Bob Brady. There's a lot. He's very pissed about this working families party. Y'all he's really pissed about, um, Democrats by the now dozens and dozens of Democrats, over 100 Democrats coming out and endorsing the River Wards, endorsing these progressive groups, these progressive wards, endorsing, um, you know, third party candidates like Nick and Nicholas O'Rourke and Kendra Brooks from Working Families Party. He doesn't like it. And there's reports that he is withholding committee money, checks to, to go to committee members. I'm going to say this. On a technical standpoint, okay, Fuck my personal feelings aside, right? On a technical standpoint, I get it. I know people don't like it, but let's keep it 100. Because we're going to walk we're going to walk ourselves into a very interesting point in the next couple of years if we don't watch out. Bob Brady is in charge of the Democratic Party, but of the local Democratic Party, Philadelphia. He is the leader. His job, his sole number one purpose is to get Democrats elected. Democrats elected. Who? Democrats. The Democratic Party in this city, the Democratic City Committee, is invested in electing Democrats. Period. I have friends that are committee people and war leaders and folks like that. That is his primary goal. Okay? As a committee person, as a ward leader of the Democratic Party, your responsibility is to elect Democrats. We're not, they're not saying all Democrats, but you gotta elect Democrats. So when there are endorsements being made, when there is energy being shifted to promote and, and, and amplify working family party candidates, third party candidates, candidates that are not Democrats, it is a problem. And so you got to understand that people who donated money to the Democratic Party donate their resources to support the Democratic Party. They don't expect committee members and ward leaders to use that money that is budgeted and earmarked for Democratic candidates to do it for third party candidates. So while everybody think it's cute right now to endorse, you know, these third party candidates, if you want to do that, do it by yourself as a non sworn in certified committee person for this Philadelphia Democratic City Committee. Period. It's unacceptable. And people are upset and they're saying, oh, Brady's mean and da da da. No, Brady is following the fucking rules and bylaws of his party. 
And I know y'all gonna say, ooh, Ernest is, is defending the Democratic Party machine. Get my fucking words right. He is following the rules of his party. And just like there's a working families party, there's also a Democratic Party. And the Democratic Party and the rules and the bylaws of their rules states that they are not to use their money resources to support people outside of their party. If you can't respect that and understand that, then you're just living on a different planet. And we got to get to a point where we can't we can't keep thinking obtuse. We can't keep you know being our feelings. If you don't like the Democratic Party, don't register to be a Democrat. If you don't want to see, if you don't like the Democrats that are being up, then don't be, you could be a Democrat personally and endorse whoever you want. Okay. So when John Fetterman, you know, Senator John Fetterman, when governor, you know, when Governor Shapiro decides to endorse third party candidates, like he endorsed Kendra Brooks and, and Fetterman endorsed Kendra and Nick, they're individual Democrats. They can do what they want to do. But the party the wards and committees, they can't do that. And so I think Brady suspending the checks of these committee people, I think is, is warranted because he is arguably making sure that that money does not be, is not used to go towards supporting third party candidates that is not Democrats. That's just fair, y'all. Like I get that everybody has their feelings, they're mad about this, because let me tell you something right now. This is what we done did at PABJ. We told our members, that if you are invested in creating an NABJ Philly group and you're taking your resources and you're doing things there, you cannot simultaneously be a member of our organization while building the capacity for an organization or I'm sorry, a group that is attempting to rival us. That is just how it's done. If you are a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, and you can't be a Delta either. Okay, if you're going to be an AKA, you can't be a Delta. That's just what it is. Period. Okay, it just is. If you are an Eagles fan, you cannot be a Cowboys fan. It is an abomination. You just can't do it. And so we got to live in a world where we got to remind people that sometimes binaries do exist. Sometimes things are black and white. And sometimes yes is a yes and a no is a motherfucking no. And we have to recognize that when it comes to the political parties in Philadelphia, Democrats are Democrats, right? The, the committee it is, working families is working families parties, and Republicans are Republicans. We're going to talk a little bit about more of that later because there was an ask earnest question. And I am going to answer that question. I am going to answer that question thoroughly because I, you know, I got about a couple of people asked me the same question of variation. So I'm going to get to that. But I just want to stay for this election purpose, right? I want you all to be smart. I want y'all to be fair though. And I want y'all to understand that this is not me defending the candidates. It's me defending the process, understanding it. And I think too often we, we we set up traps that will bite us in the ass later because what you what you're doing with this situation is you're setting a dirty precedent. What if you start getting wards that want to endorse Republicans that are Democratic wards that want to endorse Republicans against certain progressive candidates that are within the Democratic Party? It creates problems, y'all, and then y'all start getting mad because certain Republicans are getting support. We 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 gotta we we gotta recognize these nuances and and not create a bad precedent. So I understand that. I'm looking forward to the election day. 
I'm casting my vote early in the morning. I'll be out there on WRD on Tuesday for those who, who get to listen to this episode. I'll be out there Tuesday on WRD on 11 a.m. with Ryan Boyer, um, with, which will be with the Laborers District Council, their election day special on WRD Radio. So I'll be on the air at, starting at 11 a.m. I can't wait to see everybody. I can't wait to 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 just you know do this great election special. There'll be candidates from all over the city that'll be stopping by. We'll be interviewing all of them as many people as possible. I look forward to interviewing them while having a good plate of some good old food, and it's gonna be a good old time. So I I look I look forward to the election day coverage. So. I know we talked about this last week, but it seemed like this week y'all still talking about Keith Lee. Why is this not a couple of days of just whatever? Why is the, the Keith Lee situation just continues to continue to endure? It's gotten to the point that he has now gotten, um, you know, death threats. His family's been getting death threats. He's now at a place where he's saying he's not going to really do these city tours right now. He's kind of laying a little low because he doesn't. The, 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 the situation has escalated all because of Atlanta, man. Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta. You know, in a brief nutshell, leave Keith alone. Like, he is one of the nicer people in this entire food influencer media space. I mean, as a as a food editor, um, uh, I just, I, I, I'm just baffled by how this is just taking off. I mean, Candy Burris was leaving a remark. Candy, with all due respect, Grammy Award winning Candy, you know, Tony nominated Candy. Old Lady Gang, okay, OLG restaurant. My mama went down to Atlanta and tried that food. I know people that went, the service has always been crappy and shitty. And and I'm going to say it on behalf of folks I know. Let's not act like Keith Lee stopping by had one bad experience. That place, the, com- the customer service, the vibe, the food is mediocre. The service is just subpar. It's never really been that damn good. Let's just keep it 100. The only reason why it's had hype is because of the show, the the, the Real Housewives buzz, the celebrity buzz. But y'all, it's corny. A lot of these celebrity restaurants, let's keep it 100, are not that good. I remember, what was it, Diddy's had Justin's in New York. I heard that food was just crappy, and then now it's not even open no more. Um, I, I know people that told me about um, who else had a restaurant that wasn't good. Ti apparently had a restaurant uh, that wasn't all that. Now people, I've had mixed reactions about uh, Trick Daddy's restaurant in Miami. Some people say the food is really good. Some people say the food is a little too 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 greasy and too too calorie filling. Um, but I've heard mixed reviews, so I won't say his food is bad. But people have, you know, it is what it is. But a lot of these other people that got these restaurants, these celebrities that own these restaurants and pop them open, I be hearing mixed reviews. Now, Trill, okay, Bun B, Trill Burgers, that is good. Now, those are some good burgers. He even got vegan burgers. Now, Trill Burgers by Bun B is good. That's good. But that's also Houston, okay? So, you know, we do it best in H. But some of these celebrity-owned restaurants, y'all, that be popping up, especially in Atlanta and spots, they don't be all that. I don't know why a lot of people want to get in the bed. I remember Justin Timberlake had a restaurant. I think it was Southern Hospitality or something like that in, in, in Tennessee. I heard that food wasn't good. Um, you know, I, I heard that he tried to have a little restaurant um, that, that did not do that swell. And I think it's called the 1230 Club, I think it was called, or Southern Hospitality Barbecue. But a lot of people did not have said that food wasn't that good. Um but yeah, he owns some restaurants. He owns a restaurant called the Twelve Thirty Club. 
I heard people said that was just not really that good. Um, there is other people who just have said it wasn't all that. The Southern Hospitality um, restaurant, what's the one that he had? The the Southern Hospitality barbecue, people in, in, in New York, mediocre. Um but I've I've heard different I've heard different things. So Southern Hospitality actually by uh Justin Timberlake closed. Um it was in Hell's Kitchen, but it is permanently closed. Um yeah, people people really was not really feeling that restaurant either. So, you know, it's it's very interesting. The celebrity restaurant culture is up and down all around. So I'm not surprised that Candy's Burris' restaurant was the way it was. What I will say though, one thing I will say about Keith Lee being recommended to go to these restaurants. I think at a certain point we have to recognize the hype from the from the the craziness, right? Some of these places you need to go there to know how bad they were because of just what the what 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 has been known and said. And sometimes it's pretty good to talk to a local and actually talk to locals about it and get a different perspective. But you know, I digress. I, I just think that at the end of the day, I don't know why we be harping over and kicking a dead horse on the issue. He said what he said. He felt how he felt. And he's entitled to his own opinion. Just like I'm entitled to my own opinion. Period. So moving along, um, I want to say that there has been, you know, I, a couple of weeks ago, um, have not said a lot about what's going on in the Middle East, um, quite frankly, because I've I, I just seen so much rhetoric. And at some point you get tired of you know, um, the the BS, um, and I'm just tired. So one of the most annoying people that I've I've that I've been annoyed with in this entire process publicly has been Amy Schumer. Like Amy Schumer has been just annoying. I think she needs to get off the phone. I think, um, you know, we're tired. We're tired. We're tired. Her social media post about this, regardless of however you feel about the issue, is just pointless. Um, you know, somebody made a point where they said that it's this is a very viral post. They said it's crazy. It's so crazy to me how Bella and Gigi Hadid, this is the these are those models who are uh, pro Palestinian, had to tiptoe around their statements. But then Amy Schumer is like. Gazans, um, Gazan, Gazans are rapists and will still have a career. And so there was this uh, black woman. Um, her name is Asia uh, Asia Jackson, who posted about this. But Amy Schumer has like literally been harassing. She's posted that editors and journalists from prestigious outlets should be fired for allegedly stroke, stoking anti-Jewish hatred worldwide. She published an incorrect story about an Israeli rocket destroying a hospital in Gaza. Um, after she, she said after initially publishing an incorrect story about an Israeli rocket destroying a hospital in Gaza. Um, but then, you know, she was... Um, she, you know, don't realize that many people have been losing, many of these writers have been losing their jobs already. Um, she, you know, we talk about a guy named Michael Eisen, who is Jewish. He lost his job as editor-in-chief of the scientific journal eLife for simply retweeting a satirical Onion article that was called Dying, Gazans, Gazans, I'm mispronouncing it, um, criticized for not using, 
last words to condemn Hamas. And this was a stereotypical, not stereotypical, this was a satirical, um, you know, reference. Um, and then there was a call for palace. Um, and then also there was an editor chief of art form who was fired for signing an open letter that called for Palestinian liberation and quote, an end to the killing and harming of all civilians. There's been student groups that's been targeted. There's been a lot of people that's been targeted. And then, you know, people like, you know, Sarah Silverman, um, you know, has never felt no need to be silent. You know, she, you know, said that she supported Israel cutting off water and she shared a post by someone else that supported Israel cutting off water and electricity to Gaza until Hamas released all the hostages. So, you know, there's been a lot of people from that group that has been invested in denying basic human necessities to Palestinian civilians in Gaza. Half of them are children that people are calling living in a quote-unquote open-air prison, according to human rights organizations. And a lot of Islamophobia has taken off. And, you know... Amy Schumer has been stroking the rhetoric, saying a lot of stuff that's like, oh, uh, Gazan, Gazians rape Jewish girls only in self-defense and proud of our rapist martyrs. You know, she has posted about a lot of inflammatory and outrageous claims. Um, she did a cartoon that blamed all folks from Gaza as instead of Hamas. She, you know, which let's be clear, Hamas is the organization that controls Gaza. They're that militant organization that controls Gaza. And they're the ones who have been committing war crimes, killing 1,400 Israelis on October 7th. Like, those are the people that did it. Hamas did it, right? And I also want to be clear that there was an interview on 60 Minutes with, in which, on 60 Minutes, Vice President Kamala Harris had said that Palestine has a right to self-determination. She said that, you know, there should not be a conflation between Palestine and Hamas. She makes it very clear that the Palestinian people are not the terrorists that are connected to Hamas. So to see certain people push a lot of the conflation and also, you know, really hyper, you know, amplify stereotypical views and Islamophobic views on Muslim people overall. It is reminding me of what was happening during 9-11 where we saw Muslims being conflated to Al-Qaeda terrorists. And this is exactly what I think is happening right now. And so people like Amy Schumer, get the fuck off of social media, you know, if you're going to be this ignorant. And you know, when all of this situation gets resolved and there is a, there is a more cooler, you know, we're going to remember, people are going to remember how people like Amy Schumer really felt. Now, there's been celebrities like Malcolm Moore, who was Jewish, who also has spoken against a lot of the anti-Palestinian rhetoric. He has come out in support of Palestine as a white Jewish man. Um, there's been other people on other sides. It's not just, like, let me be very clear. Not all Jewish people are acting like Amy Schumer. She's actually the extreme Zionist, you know, individual in that. So it's there. But there was a conversation that came up over the weekend with a, with a friend of mine, and we were talking about celebrities. And she was, you know, disappointed with the fact that there's been a lack of celebrity, you know, uh, celebrities speaking about this and being silent. And, you know, it's during these times where I am often annoyed with sometimes the thoughts of some of my friends, but also, you know, ed educated people, you know, that I'm just like, why are we so... Why do we expect so much from celebrities? 
I understand why people do, but like when it comes to global affairs, and international relations, we are so consumed. Amer this is American culture that disgusts me. Western civilization culture is so obsessed with celebrities. And I get that we want to be entertained. We want joy. We want those things. I get it. Like, I I, I get it. I watch reality TV, TV like the next person. But our, our codependence on pop culture, specifically celebrity culture, has us thinking that these people should be more influential than they're not. At the end of the day, I'm not saying pick up a ball and dribble. I'm not saying just shut up and sing. But what I am saying is, is that I don't expect anything from these celebrities beyond what they do. I just want them to produce less harm. I want them to not be predators. I want them to not extort and abuse. To, to get them to just let be less harmful is more of a challenge and it should be more of the focus than trying to expect them to be these humanitarian folk. Because here's the reality, when you're making that much money and influence, I mean, to a certain extent, unless you have a very intentional, desired lens on the issue, when you have a bent slant, like, I mean, John Legend is a Penn grad. This man is highly educated. He is very invested in talking about social issues that impact society, right? That's somebody who's thought this through. And there's a lot of people like that, you know, for better, for worse, right? But they have educate themselves on issues and they're passionate, right? Leonardo DiCaprio is passionate about the environment. Like this man is, 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 is doing a lot of work on climate change, right? I would rather, like Angelina Jolie, she is a, is a big on global humanitarian efforts. Like that's what she's passionate about. She was an ambassador for the UN. She does work with UNICEF. Like that's her interest. Bono the same way from YouTube. Like these are people that's interested in these causes. I don't expect the rest of these folks to do that. They're rich. They're ignorant. They're into their own little bubbles. They don't know nothing about anything in their own backyard. So the fact that we always do this, I'm disappointed they're silent. Why? Why? Get over it. They've been silent about shit before this. Okay? Look how they acted during the racial uprisings. Look how they acted during Black Lives, Lives Matter. You, you know, look how they act. You can't even get black celebrities to talk about black issues in their own backyard. But we expected them to know the difference between the Palestinians and Hamas. We we over here expecting these people to use their platforms to talk about global peace, but they can't even address the, the crazy homeless poverty issue in L.A. in Hollywood. There is a ridiculous poverty, homeless condition crisis in L.A. No one's talking about it. There is massive homelessness in L.A. There are a lot of starving artists in L.A. And these celebrities, you don't hear them talking about that, okay? There is an HIV epidemic at really crazy crisis levels in Atlanta. Like, it's disproportionately impacting black queer people. And you don't see a lot of these celebrities in Atlanta use their platforms to educate, inform, and advocate for more HIV awareness and also helping people get tested and working on prevention. You don't see that. In Philadelphia, we have a, a, a serious poverty issue. Okay? Poverty in Philadelphia, we are the poorest major city in America. And we don't see Eagles players collectively and aggressively addressing poverty. Jalen Hurts don't talk about it as much, and that's okay. Okay? I'm not trying to call him out to insult him. I'm just saying that he is focused on, on, on kicking balls and winning Super Bowls, okay? 
So, so why do we expect people like them to all of a sudden educate themselves and, and, and have a stance about what's going on? You all are talking about water being cut off in Gaza, which is terrible. But do you know that there's still not clean water in Michigan and parts of Flint? You know they ain't got the clean water yet. And guess what? The only person talking about that is Michael Moore, right? So I am not going to ever put too many fucks into celebrities and their ideas and their what they do and what they don't say. We spend too much energy on these people. You know what I want to see? I want to see elected officials focus on issues happening in our own backyard. Because we already know that there is lobbyist money and there's institutional dollars that is trying to buy and influence people to go one way or the other. What I would like to see us as a community is that while we have this compassion, but I but I talked to a black man in North Philly, actually, a good, a good, a good colleague of mine. And, and this is what he said. This is his words. He says he feels like it when when he here, he said he was on um taking a scepter. And I've heard this from another friend of mine, actually, a good friend of mine who videotaped me for something for a project I'm doing. Like, but I've been here, I actually heard this from multiple people. But this was this one dude I was talking to. He was taking scepter. He takes scepter. He said, while he was on scepter, there was a white uh white progressive that that was talking to him about the they were just on the they were just on the they were just chopping it up on the scepter. And this white progressive woman said, you know. To him, I don't know why a lot of people are not speaking out what's happening in Gaza. It's a war zone out there. You know, we Americans and Philadelphians are so privileged right now. You know, we don't have to worry about, you know, bullets being shot and missiles and things. And we don't say enough. And we should be standing with the Palestinian people and helping them. And the fact that no one is caring about them, you know, is ridiculous. He said it took everything in him to not feel like that was a slap in his face. This person grew up in North Philly most of their life. They've lost classmates, family members, and others to the gun violence epidemic. They are they live they live in a food desert. They grew up in a food desert, which means they have no access to a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables in grocery stores. And their education, the public education, is piss poor. Um, and they had all these experiences. And they said it's interesting how white. He said it's interesting how white liberal women like her will give thousands of dollars and thousands of fucks about an issue that's in the Middle East, but has never given that much compassion about the issues that are happening in the Philadelphia public school system, the, the, the issues around gun violence and resources, when that is literally minutes or drive away from where they currently stay. I'm not saying that we should not have compassion about the Middle East. I'm saying that we need to keep both. That as a journalist, I am not like the everyday person. I have to know about what's happening internationally, nationally, and locally. And that as somebody who has seen oppression happen in all of these magnitudes and spaces, like I've been to Israel. So I've been to the Middle East, okay? I've been to Ghana. I've been to Peru. I've been around the world. And I have seen areas where there has been blight, where there has been hardship. I definitely understand. But I think it's important for us, some of you are out here that are advocating on social media and talking about it. When it comes to asking of black people to speak up or to, to do certain things, understand the nuances of what we mean when we know that there are people in this city that don't have access to, to, to Wi-Fi. 
That when you're saying things like, oh, people's electricity is being cut off. That's true. That is a horrible thing that happened in Gaza recently. But you got to understand that there are vast parts of Philadelphia where there is ridiculous social economic disparity. There is lots of uh, gentrification or you want to call it genocide uh, that, that literally communities are being killed right in front of us based on on, on a lack of protection, a lack of resources, a lack of healthcare access. There are people living in areas where they have no access to fresh food. And that's happening right here in Philadelphia. So when I hear people make some of these remarks, I just want you all to be cognizant of who you're saying that to. And while you're trying to get a global perspective, let's start with a local perspective. Just some food for thought. I told y'all, the more and more I'm, I'm just sitting, I'm observing, I'm learning, I'm shutting up, I'm talking to different people, and I'm processing what I'm seeing. And I just wanted to say to everybody talking right now and using their platforms, as somebody who uses my platform on a daily basis, I want to tell y'all from the, the, the number one pro point, if your energy is more fixated on what celebrities are doing and not doing on this issue, regardless, regard, rather than your elected officials and your national officials and your, your organizational leaders, you're doing it wrong, sweetie. Okay? You're doing it wrong. If you are somebody who is spending more energy talking about global issues and cannot see the connection and linkage to local issues, you're doing it wrong, sweetie. If you're putting all of your money and your resources and your talent on something that is a, 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 a time zone than where you currently reside, you're doing it wrong, sweetie. Because to me, Gaza is symbolic of Philadelphia. Gaza is symbolic of, of Chicago and parts of Chicago, the Deep South. Gaza is symbolic of, of, of various places in this international community that we're in. And if you think, if you're so ignorant and you're so drunk on American exceptionalism to think that Gaza is only one strip of oppression in this larger world and you're expecting people to only give all of their energy and thoughts on that piece of land and not see how the, 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 the experiences of what's happening in Gaza and not seeing how that is taking place in even our own backyards, you're doing it wrong, sweetie. I don't have to stay woke because I'm already awake. I don't, I don't have to consider the ramifications because... As a journalist and what I do, I'm always considering those issues and those matters. I need us to take a step back. I need us to read a little bit more. I need us to think a little bit more. And I need us to not be so impulsive to perform. I know it's tempting. I know it's tempting. But we got to be realistic about what we can do to the, what we can bring to the table and, and what we can't and who is really accountable and who's really just on the sideburns, on the sidelines, right? Just some food for thought. 
So, Ask Ernest this week is hilarious, but not really. It's, it's okay. Somebody, well, I'm going to read this question, but it, a lot of you all send in variations. So, shout out to you all for this week's Ask Ernest. Here's the question. Hey, Ernest, what's up? I've been noticing lately that you've been posting a lot about Nick and Kendra for the Working Families Party. And I was wondering, last election cycle, you didn't really care much for them. Now it seems like you're rocking with them. Are you voting for them in the November election? Good question. That's a good question. I am going to answer that. I am going to vote for Nick and Kendra on Tuesday's election. I am. I am. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to tell you who I'm not going to vote for. I'm not going to vote for Jim Harity and I'm not going to vote for Nina Mott. I don't have an issue with Jim Harity. I have no problem with him. Jim Harity is going to win regardless of my vote on Tuesday. Nina Mod, she's going to win regardless of my vote on Tuesday as well. But quite frankly, even if she was or wasn't, I still wasn't going to vote for her. Not a fan. I think she's inconsistent. Eh, that's how I feel about her personally. But she's going to win. She's going to win on Tuesday because all five Democrats are going to win. And quite frankly, why would I waste my vote electing five Democrats, voting for five Democrats, when I can make history and eliminate Republicans? Now, let me be very clear, because I want to be very clear about the concerns and the things that's raised and the concerns I still have. For starters, it would not hurt to have Working Families Party be the minority party in Philadelphia City Council. I know that that two third-party candidates that are working family, two progressive candidates, is not going to rock the boat in a 17-seat city council. But what it could do is it could open up the door of different conversations. There could be resolutions and bills that will be introduced that other Democrats might eventually get to or support. And also, it show it's a, it's a it's a it's an inflection in time that this city overall is moving further and further from Republican influence. And I, quite frankly, I think that's a good thing. The reason why I did not necessarily support Kendra and Nick um, four years ago personally was because I wasn't sure whether or not they were actual, you know, third party. I, I didn't know if they were really who they were. I didn't know if they were just Democrats masking as Working Families Party just to get elected because they didn't want to go against other Democrats. I didn't know if they were really uniquely different or if their take on things were uniquely different. But after seeing Kendra's four years on city council, I'm very clear on who Kendra Brooks is, what she stands for, and how she is vastly different from her Democratic Party colleagues. And I don't mind a defiant city council member that is also supporting policies that I agree with. What I don't support is a city council person that is literally supporting conservative views and ideals. They're being a contrast to the Democratic Party, but they're not actually presenting anything that is solvable or, 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 or reputable. I feel like the, the Republicans we've had over the past several years, they've just been weak. They are very anti this, anti that, negative this, negative that, but quite frankly, don't offer any solutions that can actually win over the other side. 
I have seen Kendra produce legislation and ideas and propose things or supported and improved legislation that has been better for all Philadelphians, regardless of their political affiliation. And N Nicholas O'Rourke is now in a position, I feel like, that he has definitely grown. He became the political director of the Working Families Party. He has definitely been more vocal, more seen. And I just feel like the two of them in that position would be best served than having two Republicans or another Republican alongside uh, Kendra Brooks. So I just feel like on election day, I'm voting for Catherine Gilmer Richardson, Isaiah Thomas, Rue Landau, when she'll be elected as the first openly LGBTQIA member of city council. It's a big historical moment, and I'm definitely going to vote for her. And then I'm going to vote for Nick and Kendra. Sorry, Jim. Sorry, Nina. Uh, more sorry for Jim, but no sorry for Nina. It is what it is, girl. I'm not, I'm not supporting you. Um, but she's going to win anyway, right? She's going to get elected. But I don't really do well with fake people. I don't like people that are... Just wishy-washy and two-sided. I don't really care for people that that are are going to play all types of angles and be whoever they want for whoever they want. I don't personally think Nina Mod should be an elected official. I think that she she isn't. She has been over the years. I have followed her career, and she has been antagonistic to people in my community. When I was addressing racism in the neighborhood. When that was like eight years ago, 2016, when she was as the deputy mayor for Mayor Jim Kenney, she sat there and she basically defended Kenney and his lackluster performance on addressing racism in my community. OK, my LGBTI community had racism and she defended Kim Jim Kenney. And she was also one of those people that was I remember I was at a panel one time at the African-American Museum and she said something like, you know, wow, you know, something along the lines of, you know, while there's all these 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 things being acts of administration, you know, you all should look at the things you're doing, look inward at what you could be doing to cause it. I said, are you are you accused? I was like, are you accusing us of of basically being responsible for the discrimination we're facing? Are you victim blaming? I remember how contentious that was, and I did not appreciate that. But moving forward, since then, I have seen her attack progressives. I've seen her really go hard in the paint, coming after other Democrats who did not necessarily share the same views as her. I remember her behavior on Twitter during the time where I was cyber attacked and bullied because I was supportive of John Fetterman. And I remember she was a big Connor Lamb supporter, but she was liking tweets by national folks that was really slandering and disrespecting me while I was supporting Fetterman. And I didn't have, listen, I never, you know, I know who she supported, but I never was backstabby like that. And so now she's elected and she's friendly to me and she waves to me and I elected. She's, she was, she was elected. She won the Democratic primary. But now that she is, you know, now in this space after 5,000 times of trying to get elected to a seat, she finally found a seat. She is now trying to be friendly to me and say hi and this and that. And look, I'm going to be cordial because I'm professional. But let me be clear. My memory's long and I'm never going to forget. So... Yeah, I have no problem not voting for her. And also, you know, Jim, Jim's going to be fine. Jim's a white man. He's going to be fine. He's from the Northeast. He's going to be fine. I, I, I Sorry, Jim. Just just not. Catherine Grimmer Richardson, a, a, a solid elected official. Isaiah Thomas, been doing a damn thing. Rulando, a history maker. That's my three. Those are my three. And Kendra and Nick, I vote for them. That's just what it is. I vote for them. Now, let me just say this, though. I want to be clear. No one wants to be honest about why they're worried about Nick and Kendra winning these two seats. It's not because Bob Brady believes that they're going to interrupt Democrats' ability. He got to do what he got to do for his party. But what he is worried about and what many of these Democrats are worried about 
is that there are work, there are Democrats that are backed by the Working Families Party that has been running for seats all across Philadelphia for, for several years. There is a momentum. And I've been telling people this for a while. And I hope y'all been paying attention. But we're seeing a momentum in black progressives being successful in elections. And if Nick pulls this off and the Republicans are out, the momentum is only going to get higher. And we're going to see very soon in state rep races, in state senator races, we're going to see a lot of black people that are progressives shoot their shot to unseat establishment incumbents within the Philadelphia democratic political system. And when they start doing that, we're going to really see some political changes. I think that Brady and others are trying to stop it at its tracks. I think on the low, they don't really want to see Nick and Kendra win because they recognize that keeping the Republicans around keeps the traditional establishment moderate allowed. When you take the Republicans out and we start seeing this momentum, working for this party is going to be able to fundraise off of that success. And they're going to be able to fuel the campaigns of these people who are going to unseat some of these longtime incumbents. So I see that. And honestly, I'm okay with some of those changes. I do think that some of the Democrats that are elected in office has been in office too long. I feel like we're seeing way too many of them. And at this point, I want to see some changes. I, I, I got to see some changes. I, I got to see some shakeups. So I'm here for it. And I'm going to leave it at that. So now for movies. We are at fall, y'all. We are, a lot is happening this year. This Later this week, the Grammy nominations are coming. And there's tons of Grammy predictions. I'm nervous. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to see who's going to get nominated this year. I, I predict that there's going to be Taylor Swift buzz. I expect there's going to be a lot of interesting things there. But we're going to save that for next week's episode. I will get into full, you know, podcast mode, in-depth mode about, you know, all that's going on with Taylor Swift, all that's going on with the Grammy nominations. I do predict that she's going to get a lot of nominations. And I'm also curious to see how this is going to do. But now that we have seen some movies coming out for Oscar season, I have some early predictions and some thoughts about some of the things that are coming out. So I'm going to tell you the early predictions I have because movies are out and I'm going to tell you my thoughts. So for Best Picture, the, the major fight right now, in my opinion, I think is going to be Oppenheimer. I think Oppenheimer, you know, is going to be right now in the lead for Best Picture. I know it's a summer release, but there's a good chance. Killers of the Flower Moon has a strong chance. But I really definitely think that Oppenheimer is a big one. Uh, people have been saying watch out for that American fiction film. But I definitely think Oppenheimer is 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 the front runner right now. For Best Director, I'm going to say Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. Christopher Nolan has done previous films, been nominated previous times for Best Director. I mean, he's done films like, you know, The Dark Knight. He's done um, Inception. He's been a big director for a while. I think this might be the, the 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 big film that will get him that the Oscar nomination that we're that we're looking forward to seeing. But don't sleep on Martin Scorsese for Flowers for Killers of the Flower Moon though. Now, best actor in a leading role, I it's contentious. People are saying Cillian Murphy, uh, Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer, a great performance. He kills it. is is really remarkable, and I can see him doing it. But I also will tell y'all, don't sleep from our, our Philly's finest, Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper from Maestro. 
could really pull an upset. You know, you just never know with him. I mean, there's there's a lot of controversy about the performance, the nose. You know, people are saying, you know, it, the prosthetic nose seems like it's, emph- it's emphasizing stereotypes on Jewish uh, facial features. But, you know, it's interesting to see how that will play off. Now, best lead actress, a lot of people are talking about that performance. A lot of people say, oh, could Emma Stone finally show up and show out? Um, and, and, and really, you know, will Emma Stone really show up and show out for this film, Poor Things? But she's already won, you know, an Oscar already. I'm putting my bag, my, my money on Lily Gladstone, who is in Killers of the Flower Moon. I mean, she's just, she'll be the first, you know, indigenous actress to win an acting Oscar and a lead performance at that. So I'm really, really feeling her. I'm really feeling her. Now, for best actor in a supporting role, there's a lot of debate. I think the fight is going to be between Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer or Ryan Gosling for Barbie. I, I mean, there's a lot of chatter about Barbie being nominated for Best Picture, could have won Best Picture. I don't see it for that. I don't. But I will not sleep on the reality that there is a strong chance that the Barbie Oscar win will go to Ryan Gosling. One, everyone likes Ryan. He's been nominated for Oscar in the past. It would be nice to see him potentially win an Oscar. But Robert Downing Jr., people love him. He's also respected. His performance in Oppenheimer is very popular. I think it's between those two. I think Ryan Gosling for Barbie would be the win that everybody really kind of wants for Barbie. So we'll see. Now, for actress in a supporting role, I think this is interesting. I'm giving it to Divine, Divine Joy Randolph for The Handovers. Now, you all haven't seen this film. It was, in, it was during a lot of film festival circuits. When this film comes out, you're going to understand why. But she's a black actress. If you all know who Divine Joy Randolph is, she was in that movie uh, Dynamite um, with Eddie Murphy, the one that everybody was so hype about. Um, my name is... Um, it, it was called My Name is uh, Dynamite, I think it was. Um, but do, I'm sorry, Dolomite, Dolomite is my name. That was what it was. Dolomite was my name. Eddie Murphy was in it, of course. Um, Wesley Snipes, Divine Joy Randolph, a lot, you know, Chris Rock, Mike Epps. Dolomite is my name was very popular. A lot of people thought I was going to get some Oscar nominations. Eddie Murphy was really good in it. It was a really good film, but it didn't happen. I think this time around, because there was a contingency of people that really thought that Divine Joy Randolph could have gotten an Oscar or a nomination for that performance, people have not forgotten her. Her performance in The Handovers is great, and she's been getting a lot of early Oscar buzz. I really think that if there's any black actor or actress that's going to win at this year's Oscars, I think she's the frontrunner. Now, there's other categories, such as original screenplay. Um, I also think The Handovers is going to win that. But, you know, let's not sleep on it. Adapted screenplay, that's a little hard. You got Killers of the Flower Moon. You got American Fiction, I'm thinking. You got Oppenheimer. I think Barbie's going to pull it off. I think Greta Gerwig and her husband, they are both married. They've been nominated for Oscar several times. Greta Gerwig has never won one. And I think she'll get a Best Director nomination, potentially. But it would be nice to see her, you know, win. Win an Oscar, finally. It would be nice to see her win an Oscar finally. So, we'll see. Animated feature is going to go to Spider-Man across the, uni- the Spider-Verse. Even though I really did like um, Elemental. 
But I really think that it's going to go to Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. We just love that film. So that's where I'm at with my predictions. I, I you know, those, that's where I'm at with my predictions. Um, you know, it's only a matter of time. We don't know yet. Things can change. Direction can change. A lot of things can change. Um, you know, a lot of people are, like, even with song, right? Best song. People think that Justin Timberlake's going to get nominated for Trolls Band Together. There's people thinking that, you know, Billie Eilish, What Was I Made For? from the Barbie movie is going to win. Her and her brother Phineas. They just won an Oscar a couple of years ago for um, No Time to Die from um, that, that, that Bond movie. But could they turn around and win again? Who knows? I mean, Diane Warren, Flaming Hot from The Fire Inside. She's always nominated, but she never wins, which is this going to be another Diane Warren nomination without a win. But, you know, this would be a year for her to win. It would be nice for her to win, but I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, so we're going to see what, what how it plays out. Um, but we just have to see. Now, her song, The Fire Inside, is from the film Origin. So maybe there's some buzz that can happen for that song. But we'll see how it plays out. Um, but, yeah, those are my early predictions. Um, there's a lot of great movies coming out still left of the year. But stay tuned, okay, because... Anything can change. I'm looking forward to the Golden Globe nomination. It's going to come out later this year, but I'm, I'm just staying foot. So let's talk about Meg Thee Stallion and this new song, Cobra. Uh, Cobra. Meg Thee Stallion is back. She's back, back. Like, she's back, back. Like, not bongos back, not movie soundtrack song back, but vocally, lyrically back. Okay? This song is fire. Um, I haven't heard any critics about it. I don't know anybody who does not like the song. She's lyrically strong. And I always feel like Meg Thee Stallion is at her best when she's rapping with a level of fierceness. But also when she's emotional and when she's personal, when she talks about personal matters and she and she's really, you know, she makes these her lyrics one of a kind. I have a love, I have an up and down, I've had an up and down with Meg Thee Stallion's music. Sometimes I just enjoy it for a good little party dance song. Sometimes I feel like the lyrics can be vapid and redundant and repetitive and kind of like the same. But then I love when she's just really personal. She pours out her feelings. Like I think about the Traumazine album. I really did like some of the songs. I really thought Plan B was good, right? Plan B was just lyrically strong and the bars are great. But then there's times where she just does these kind of silly songs where she makes the same kind of references and it's just really not saying anything. But with this song, Cobra, I just appreciate how the song had a good, it was a good flow, good pace, but the lyrics were saying something. She was pouring herself out. And I, you know, she talked about, you know, what we speculate to be her ex, um, which is a party, um, and, and how he you know, was out here getting, um, according to the lyrics, fellatio in the same house they were in. And, you know, all that talk about him being a supportive boyfriend and got feminist tatted on him seemed like he was trash. But, um, you know, it was interesting, interesting revelations in that song. But she talked about betrayal and all of these things. And I just really hope that she, that the break that she's taking and the time that she's taking, that she's really processing and doing better. So we'll see. Um, but the one critic of the song and the shade that was thrown that was seen across the country was was fucking Nicki Minaj. She put up that meme of that person taking some out their headphones that is annoying to hear. That that popular meme of that it's like a white old man he's laying down and he's moving these headphones because it looked like his hair is aching. Normally people share that when they share like they don't like a song and they think the song is bad. Nicki shares that and I'm just like you know you're just such a troll. And at, at some point, it's like, you know, I don't know. For her to be so rich, so 
much older than the rest of the girls and just such a troll. I think she's turning 40 years old this year. Like, you should be so much more confident. She's been in the game for like over 10 years, over a decade. And I just feel like anytime there's any other woman artist that does not kiss her ring or bow down to her, she wants to not give them credit. That was a very good song, okay? Now, if you're talking about Bongos, I know Bongos was very mixed reaction. Fair, 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 right? But like, come on, Cobra is good. Like, it's just good. It's just good. And it's just like, stop being a hater, okay? How about you spend more time making sure your album does not get pushed back because you're scared of how it's going to land on the charts, okay? It went from December to now it's going to November. Girl, figure it out. She just annoys me now. I, at one point in time, I used to love her. I used to be a barb. But like, I'm just, I'm just over her, the fan group, everything. It's just a mess. So I want to talk about The Crown, The Crown drama. There's been drama with the show The Crown. Um, the new season hasn't even started yet. I believe it starts actually this in the following week. I cannot wait to watch part one. Part one comes out this month in November and then part two comes out in December. In the recent years, I've been really interested in it because I feel like they're talking about more contemporary issues and things I care. So Princess Diana, like her fateful conclusion is going to be in this season. This is the final season. Seven is the final season. But before this show has even been seen by the public, the British tabloids, the media and across the Atlantic have been arguing and debating and, and the royal families have put out statements. I'm like, why y'all? Like, like, it hasn't even came out yet. Can the people watch it before you all have an opinion? That's how you know. Like, let me tell you something. The, 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 the firm, the firm over there in Great Britain, they spend so much energy trying to stir the pot. We already... The public has already made their feelings about the royal family right now. This royal, we is a toxic place. It's a toxic place for women who are not born into that aristocratic system. It's it's a it's a racist institution. Like people are just tired of it, and like all this whimpering and whining, we see it and it's stupid. Like it hasn't even came out yet. We ain't seen yet a second of this goddamn documentary, and y'all going not documentary this 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 show, and you are already trashing it before it comes out, man. Thank you for making me even more interested to watch it. Moving along. Now, things that I don't know if you all care about, but I do as a TV, avid TV watcher and lover. I am really, like the writer's strike happened, but the actor's strike right now, the issues happening right now with the Gill and all that, it has caught the consequences of now finally hitting us. HBO Max, or as they call it, Max, um, are delaying some big shows. On TV, okay? The Lotus, the third season of The Lotus, The White Lotus, or the spinoff or whatever, that's not happening until the 2025. Which, mentally, I'm like, 2025, what's that? We're going to already be halfway done with this decade? Oh, that's right, because we spent much of half, the first half of the chunk of it in the pandemic, I guess. So, 2025 is when they're going to air that, which is like, What? A lot of things are being pushed. I, I just read the Snow White remake that had all that controversy. That is not, not that's not coming out until 2025 now. Like it's like I just it's weird to me how people can make movies that come out that far along when so many things change in society. It's interesting how the movie business work. Um Euphoria, which is gonna go through a major cast reshuffle for various reasons i suppose but that's not coming out to 2025 and i'm just kind of like will zendaya even care at that point like how can we commit shows now she done won two emmys she's the most most awarded black lead tv actress of all time 
She's got two. Viola Davis has one. There's only been two black actresses to ever win the best lead actress in a drama um, Emmy. Now, comedy, there's only been one black woman. And this is the woman who played in the Jeffersons back in the day. That's the only black woman who's ever won a lead actress comedy Emmy. We got a long way to go, America. We got a long way to go, people. Okay? When y'all be thinking we're getting too much, we haven't even got enough. Okay? So, Zendaya has two. Two lead actress drama Emmys. Which is a big deal. And it all came from her role in Euphoria. So, I know a lot of lead actresses are taking the side and like, oh, good. Zendaya's not back. I'm going to be able to have a fighting chance to get me an Emmy. Because you know when Zendaya, Zendaya is a beast of an actress. And I really want her to get some serious film roles. I want them to put her in some serious acting roles. Like get her an Oscar. If there's if we ever have hope, okay, we still have yet to have a second black woman to win an Academy Award. We just got the second woman of color to win an Oscar um earlier this year, and that was Michelle Wu Yu for Everything Everywhere All at Once. But like, that's it. Michelle Young, I'm sorry, Michelle Young. We, we like what are we doing here? Michelle Yo. Michelle Yo. Oh my goodness, what is up? Michelle Yo is is the first Asian actress to win Best Lead Actress. And, and that's been controversial because we're like, well, is it, you know, is it was she? Well, because there's another woman that I guess assimilated as white back in the 19, you know, 40s and 50s. But Michelle Yo is the second actress of color after Holly Berry to win the Academy Award for Best Lead Actress. I think Zendaya could be could be up there next to Viola Davis. We, you know, look, we're trying to get Viola Davis there. Viola Davis already has won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress alongside many other black actresses who've won the supporting category. But we want to see her to lead. I want Viola Davis to win a Lead Actress Academy Award. Period. And I want her to be the second black, black actress to do it. Period. So, we'll stay tuned and see how this goes on TV. But... You know, I'm keeping up with my reality TV shows. I'm not sleeping on them. I'm keeping them up. So, lastly, as we get into the week, I'm super excited, y'all. My mother is coming in town. She's coming to Philadelphia for this upcoming weekend. It's going to be a family affair for the 20, the 2003 PABJ Awards Gala. Tickets are on sale now. If you are trying to get tickets, go to the website, thepabj.org. Um, again, the website is thepabj.org. You can buy tickets um, while they last. Um, we are still selling tickets. There's a couple of tickets left. Get you some tickets. It's an open bar. There's going to be our, our our liquor sponsor uh, is Uncle Nearest Whiskey, which y'all know I love. I love Fon Weaver and, and Victoria uh, Butler, who are just two incredible black women that's leading this incredible black-owned whiskey. We're also going to have vodka from Tito's and other places. We're going to have a great open bar, lots to drink, lots of, to eat, brulee catering. Um, it's going to be a fabulous time. The event's going to be from 6 to 10. Um, and I'm going to be proud to win Journalist of the Year. And there's going to be so many other incredible winners, such as uh, Troy Wilmore and Tiffany Bacon are winning the PABJ Impact Award. Um, Stephen C.W. Taylor is winning the Visual Journalist of the Year Award. Um, um, Janine Cook from Harriet's Bookshops and Ida's and all those great bookstores. She is winning the Community Service Award. Um, who else? I, I don't want to forget. Who else my guest? Um, Natasha Brown is winning the Lifetime Achievement Award from CBS3. And the, the Master of Ceremonies is the legendary CBS News co-anchor, 
Yuki Washington. He is emceeing this gala. So I'm super excited. Come, 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 come. If you are excited to see me, you want to see the Lit Brothers will be there. All of my friends will be there. Mr. Johnson will be there. My mother will be there. The PBJ board, all of my great friends. You can see the cast of my life <laughs> in person. Um, so it would be great. So get tickets now. It's at the, P the PABJ.org. Um, get your tickets, check it out. Link is also in my bio. So if you don't know where to get, find a website, you can go to the link in my Instagram and Twitter bio, click there, and there's a link that gets you directed to buy tickets. But it's going to be a great time. I super cannot wait for it. I can't super wait for the Grammy nominations to see who's going to be nominated this year. And it's going to be a fabulous time. So I can't wait. I'm super excited. You know, I've been playing, you know, my song, Lovely Day. It's been a lovely day, lovely week. And as always, be well and be best. Earnestly Speaking is recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. To stay up to date with the latest on the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mr. Ernest Owens. Use the hashtag Earnestly Speaking to tell me what you thought about this episode, and check out my website at ErnestOwens.com. <laughs>